0: You're listening to the New Orleans Mafia Podcast. Where you at, Leo? Hey, thank you for being here. This is the New Orleans Mafia Podcast with Leo Mixon. I'm Leo Mixon. I want to thank the people who listened to our first episode. I really wasn't I wasn't expecting anybody to listen to it. And you guys were great. I appreciate all the support. I want to give a special shout out to Sam and the crew over at Crescent City Mafia Murder and Mysteries Group on Facebook. Uh, Look those guys up. They have been supporting the podcast already. And I'm very grateful. Again, that's Crescent City Mafia Murder and Mysteries. Uh, Just search for them on Facebook. You can't miss it. A lot of great stuff about uh, New Orleans and, and the crime history there. This week, we're going to look at a murder at Mosca's. Back in 2017, there was this big cache of FBI files that were released um, that were essentially to do with the Kennedy assassination. But in doing so, it released a lot of internal FBI files that had been unavailable before, Uh, confidential informants. It had information about other crimes that had been investigated for the New Orleans Mafia and you know how they thought that might tie into the Kennedy assassination and one of these referred to murder that's very very interesting it's got some it's got some great uh twists and turns in it and some and some stuff that to this day is kind of unexplained so like I said I'm calling it murder at Mosca's uh, you'll find out why in a little bit it ain't exactly at Mosca's but it kind of also is going back to the FBI papers there was an internal report in February 1967. An FBI agent in New Orleans, uh, Agent Collins, who has got a quite a bit of interesting background with Carlos Marcelo. They did not like each other. There was some uh, altercation, some of them physical. But anyway, Collins is approached by a woman named Mrs. Murdoch Navo. She says she wants to meet and give them information on a murder she may have witnessed. She tells the FBI agent she will not come to the FBI offices at all. She does not want anybody to know she's talking to them. She agrees to meet at St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Jefferson Parish in the office of a Reverend Hugh McKee, or Mackey, depending on how you pronounce that. She will not agree to testify in court. What she's telling them is purely uh, to aid in an investigation, but she refuses to be uh, in public testifying about this. And here's a kicker. The murder she's giving information on happened in 1944. Yeah, so we're talking about, uh, what, 27 years later. Now, before I talk to you about what Ms. Navo had to say in her report, let's jump back to 1942. We're going to take a, a, a time machine on further back into the middle of World War II and we're going to find out what kind of events kicked this whole thing off. We're back in 1942 New Orleans and we're going to meet a couple named Gene and Teresa Mano. Gene is a butcher. He's from Washington DC. Uh, he moves to New Orleans, he and his wife Teresa. He goes down into the French Quarter and uh, starts trying to find a job and he, he finds another butcher named Anthony Gambino. And Anthony hires him on uh, to work for him, and, and Gene's a hard worker, it seems like, when he's working for Anthony. Uh, he does pretty good, and pretty soon he's able to open a shop of his own. He's uh, located in the French Quarter, not far from Anthony's shop. But now that he's got his own shop, the other butchers that work around Mano is like, Oh, yeah, he doesn't work very hard, but somehow he always seems to have plenty of money. So that, that's a little odd. And so Gene and Teresa come along, and, and August 8, 1943, they have a meal in the Willswood community, probably at the Willswood Tavern. That was one of the few places to eat there at the time that you know, they probably would have gone on a date. Um, uh, well, no, this probably wasn't a date, though, because uh, they were having lunch there. But they meet two other guys. These two guys are Tommy Saracusa and Salvatore Vitale. Now, Vitale and Saracusa are both... Connected guys not sure if they were were made or not, but they were definitely connected guys Um, They did work for the the Mafia there in New Orleans now when they introduced uh, uh, Teresa to these two dudes uh, They are introduced as Toto and Marsu, okay Wizard of Oz was out already. So yeah, I kind of kind of wondered about somebody still being called Toto, but anyway they have lunch. Uh, nothing, nothing of note happens there. And um, after lunch, uh, the Manos are dropped off at their at their place, at their apartment, um, about 4 p.m. Now, 7:45 that same night, Mano tells Teresa, "Hey, I need to get dressed here. Give me a clean shirt. I've got to go check some stuff out. I think there's a couple of suspicious-looking guys on the corner." So he gets dressed. He kisses his wife a couple of times goes down to check on these suspicious-looking guys on the corner, and is never heard from again, vanishes into thin air. Other accounts say he told Teresa he was going to meet Toto and Marsou, but, you know, either way, he goes downstairs at 745 and is never heard from again. On November 10th, 1943, so we're looking at, you know, three and a half months later, uh, almost four months later, yeah. Two rabbit hunters find a shallow grave near the Willswood community. Now, these were fairly young guys that were out out rabbit hunting. Uh, They find this this shallow grave. It's clear that it's not, you know, any other kind of uh, earthwork that anybody was doing. And so they immediately call the uh, town marshal uh, a marshal named Charles S. Taylor. So Taylor comes in with his guys. They inspect the grave, and they find a body and that body is covered in quicklime. Now, quicklime is an interesting compound. Uh, It's used in a lot of different things. Um, Lime itself is used in the creation of concrete, Um, but it's long been believed that quicklime helps with decaying a body faster. I'm not really sure if I call it faster. What it does though is very useful. Quicklime completely dries out the body And it also kills the bacteria in the gut and in the other tissues now that bacteria is what causes a body to uh, swell and bloat and it also causes the horrendous smell that you get with a decaying body you cover a body in quicklime people can walk 10 feet from it they're not going to smell anything so that is very very useful and then those dried out tissues um, are often easier for animals and insects and stuff to get through and, and finish off your body, leaving it basically just a skeleton. And we're 1940s here, so uh, DNA isn't going to do you any good if you find a skeleton. Marshall Taylor's men check the body, and with it they find a book of C gasoline ration stamps, uh, several pieces of paper, a set of keys, two pennies, and a driver's license which reads Gene Mano. Now, to explain two things there, in the war gasoline was being rationed didn't matter how much money you had you had to have a ration coupon to buy gas uh, because obviously most of the fuel was going to the war effort the two pennies they don't really you know the the police don't give them any uh, consideration often two pennies though with a body were kind of like that was an indication that those were to be placed over the eyes um and the old mythology said you would use that Uh, to pay for your ferry trip to the other side. Not ferry, but ferry. Uh, You know, the the ferryman which takes you across the river sticks to hell. The coroner, Dr. Odom, determines that uh, Mano was killed by a single blow to the head, likely with a hammer, swung hard enough to cause a two-inch hole in his skull. Mano definitely did not die by accident. And the police investigation starts at this point. The keys that the police find on his body, of course, they're trying to to verify beyond doubt that this is Gene Mano. Um, The keys that they find with his body open up his stall in the French Quarter. So they know, hey, yeah, this is him. Here, the keys open up his business. Now, we need to go talk to his wife and uh, see what's going on here. They go to the apartment, uh, that's Gene's address, and they find that the apartment is abandoned. Um, There's nobody there. The uh, landlord has no idea what happened to him. He just found it abandoned and so uh, There it is. So immediately the police start looking for this missing wife You know, you always want to know what the spouse is up to when you find a murder Almost before the investigation of the wife can get started. They get a telegram from her from Washington DC Remember now the Mannos are from DC originally She says she saw the information about the murder in the newspaper. She tells the police, hey, look, I'll help in any way I can, um, but financially, I'm gonna need some uh, assistance getting to you, Uh, so the police send her a train ticket. So when Mrs. Mano gets to uh, New Orleans and she starts talking to the cops, she says, you know, look, hey, I thought he left me. I said, fuck him, if he wants to leave, leave. I ran the butcher shop for a little while Um, And then I got a real estate job offer from D.C. and I got out of here. You know, I I really thought, you know, he's we hadn't been married that long and maybe he just left me. So the police determined she's not a suspect. Um, Part of it in the kind (laughs) of the kind of way that the misogyny can clear you back then. Uh, They're like, oh, she's a little lady. She couldn't have swung a hammer that hard. Uh, yeah, let me assure you, a lady can swing a hammer that hard. But anyway, so they keep, they keep looking. She goes back to D.C. Now, during the investigation, these police, they find some interesting stuff. Seems like Gene Mano, ain't Gene Mano. It's his alias. His real name is Constantine Masato. And, uh, Constantine went by the name Jerry. And Jerry Masato is wanted for murder and family abandonment in New York City. Seems that his father was a capo in an earlier mafia crime family there that would later become the Gambino family. His father's a connected guy. He's got a sister named Yolanda. Now, Yolanda uh, has gone on vacation. Uh, She's taking some time off from her job and going into uh, upstate New York, up into the Catskills for a vacation. She's having a good time up there. And all of a sudden, she gets this telegram from Newburgh, New York. Now I will tell you, I spent six months in Newburg one week. Duh God, that was an awful town. There's nothing to do up there. It's terrible. But anyway, she gets uh this telegram from Newburgh, which is like a kind of a town over from where she's staying. That night she gets the telegram, she reads it, she leaves her boarding house around midnight, and nobody ever hears from Teresa again. The next morning there is a body found. Fourteen stab wounds. In this body made from a five-inch knife and an ice pick. This is a pretty pretty uh, evil crime of passion here. Whoever wanted to kill this person, uh, they kind of went above and beyond. Using two separate weapons, you know, makes you wonder what was used first. Was it the ice pick first so it would hurt and then the knife to finish them off? You know, it, it seems bad either way. Now, all of her valuables have been stolen. As the police start to to do their investigation there in New York, they start looking around. They go, wait a second. Seems like we can't reach her brother, Constantine. He has vanished off the face of the planet. Now, Constantine, when he vanished, he had left home, told his wife goodbye. Uh, That would be his wife and his seven children. And then, poof, he was just gone. The police uh, start looking at him for murder and family abandonment which is a bad thing when you leave a wife and seven kids with no means of support. The police don't have anything that can directly tie Constantine to the murder um, but the family feels a little different up there. They feel pretty certain that Constantine has killed his sister and despite his father's position uh, the mafia tells him hey we're putting a hit out on this guy. You don't kill your sister. When you're connected to us, uh, that's not something you do. And if you're going to do it, you need to get it cleared first. Now, I don't know whether Constantine's a made guy here or not, um, but I think because his father is, it's kind of a thing. You don't kill the kids of a made guy for damn sure, no matter who you are, even if you're one of them kids. They find out that Constantine has flown to D.C., where he becomes Gene Mano, and in D.C. he marries Teresa, uh, making them Gene and Teresa Mano that we met at the beginning, and eventually they move to New Orleans. See, now, what Gene Mano slash Jerry uh, Masoto didn't know is that there's an up-and-comer in the New Orleans Mafia named Carlos Marcello. He has a direct line to the New York families through his association with Frank Costello. If you don't know Costello, he would later become head of the National Mafia Commission and uh, he would earn the name the Prime Minister of the Mafia. Costello had a very lucrative slot machine business at the same time that Fiorello LaGuardia becomes mayor of New York. Now, LaGuardia vowed to destroy all the slot machines in New York. He was one of these crusaders. Oh, gambling is going to kill everything and everybody, and that's the root of all evil. Costello knows he's got to get his machines out of New York. Um, LaGuardia is, is making a big show of destroying the machines he finds, uh, throwing some of them into the East River. I guess he thought, uh, I throw things into the river and they just vanish. They don't leach all kinds of crap out of the machine that poisons the river. Anyway, Costello is a sharp businessman. He's like, I got to get my machines out of here. Now, New Orleans is kind of a going town. He makes uh, contact with a, a young man there named Carlos Marcello. And Carlos says, sure, I'll make it happen. Bring him in. Give me a cut. We'll do it. That really uh, kind of kind of cements Marcello as a, as a really fast riser in the New Orleans family, uh, which later would have him uh, becoming the head of the family there. But now we're still back in the 40s. He's still just a rising star in, uh, in New Orleans. There are a couple of stories about how the mafia in New Orleans found out that Gene Mano was actually Constantine Masato. Now, the most likely one, I think, is that when he gets to New Orleans and he's looking for work, he sees there's a butcher with the last name Gambino. Um so remember, his father was a, a member of the family that would become the Gambino Crime Family, so there were there were Gambinos in there already. They say uh he told Gambino that My real name's masato you know man, I think we're cousins, we were both born in New York. He's already blown his cover with his first job interview. There are some also some uncorroborated reports to say when the word came down from New York, Carlos Marcelo was given the job of taking care of him. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings about Mafia hitmen. Um, mostly, again, driven by TV and movies. Hitmen in the Mafia aren't paid assassins, so to speak. A lot of the times, the job will just be given to XYZ person. Now there are some guys over the years that kind of get a, a reputation for hey if you give me a, a hit to handle I can do it clean get in and out nobody you know you get you uh, uh, Tommy Karate there uh, I believe his last name is Petro, uh, in New York um, you get Murder Inc obviously the Albert Anastasia crew that was you know just known and. And that's a good example of it because Anastasia used a lot of Jewish hitmen there. A lot of guys that weren't connected, um, or I'm sorry, weren't made members of the New York Mafia. In more recent history, you got Roy DeMeo and, you know, the DeMeo crew who became uh, very well known in New York for hitting people. But in the Mafia, you don't have paid hitmen. I know you may pay an outside guy to do something. Uh, but even that's pretty rare. Usually usually a guy who's not in the family who uh, gets handed a murder or something, he may get given some money later on, but it's not going to be a, hey, you know, here's $5,000, go hit so-and-so. Brings into question a lot of the Richard Kuklinski stuff, which uh, he you know, we'll talk about him some other time. Uh, he's not really even tied to New Orleans. I just uh, found some of his... His uh, claim's kind of ludicrous. Uh, but anyway, there are no paid hitmen in the mafia. Pretty much what happens is you get given a job, you do the job. You do the job because you're a made guy and you do what you're told. And so it's very possible that Marcello was handed this off and say, Hey, we got a guy uh, who's got a contract on him out of New York. Let's get rid of this guy. So let me recap here because I know we kind of went off on a tangent there. Um, Constantine Jerry Masato slash Gene Mano kills his sister, flees New York, leaving his wife and seven kids behind. He goes to D.C. He becomes Gene Mano. He marries Teresa. Gene and Teresa Mano move to New Orleans. Now, once they get there, at some point, Gene and Teresa have lunch with Gene's friends at the Willswood Tavern. Uh, The friends are Tommy Saracusa and Salvatore Vitale. And they are guys who, like Gene slash Jerry, also have multiple names. After being dropped off at home, Gene goes out. He ends up in a shallow grave with a hammer hole in his skull. On a side note, would you like to guess who owns the Willswood Tavern? Yep, Carlos Marcello. So, at this point, after hearing Teresa's testimony, the police decide to arrest Saracusa and Vitali um, because they're probably the last two people who saw Jean Mano alive. Now Teresa's uh, testimony backs this up, so police detective lieutenant William Grosh decides to use the opportunity uh, to just basically pick up anybody he ever suspects of doing anything. I- I'm guessing basically he sends his guys out and says, "Hey." You guys, go out there, arrest everybody whose last name ends in a vowel. So in this sweep with uh, Saracusa and Vitali, they pick up Domino Toludo, Anthony Lorio, Anthony Ranzino, Joseph Catera, and Joseph Rizzuto. Ah, Rizzuto. Ah, that's a good last name. Anyway, I've said before that when you hear people's names in the mafia, when they're a known name... Uh, which Saracusa and Vitali kind of become here it's generally cuz they fucked something up uh, unless these guys choose to have you know who they are uh, anything they do is not going to make the papers they they're really trying to fly under the radar now Saracusa uh, this is this is bad he's um he's made a lot of press and a lot of uh, scrutiny is coming out to why he was the last person seen with Gene Mano. Um, what does this mean? What kind of a uh, reason did he have to kill him? This is bad, bad heat that nobody in the mafia wants. You got to guess, Carlos Marcello is pissed. Because, you know, if the rumors are true, Marcello was given the job, he handed it down to somebody he wanted to take care of it, And, you know, what should have been a quiet job of making this, you know, little-known butcher who who nobody gives a shit about, you make him disappear, uh, it turns out with seven guys in jail and a shit ton of press. You know, this wasn't some revenge hit. It wasn't meant to send a public message to anybody in New Orleans. You know, this was just supposed to be a guy who vanishes with no witnesses. And suddenly the police are all over this whole thing. Of the men that were picked up, uh, the extra five were released when the police couldn't convince the judge that they had any connection to the crime. Uh, it was a shit arrest anyway. And these guys had nothing to do with it. They just were, you know, the police just wanted to rattle the cage. Syracuse and Vitaly, on the other hand, get charged with murder. Vitali is in the country illegally, so after arraignment he's turned over to immigration officials uh, where he's going to stay for a little while before managing to bond out of there, waiting for uh, waiting for his case to be heard. Now, Syracuse bonds out of jail, and he is free, walking the streets, awaiting his uh, trial with, on the crime. Let's jump to the evening of February 10th, 1944. This is the year after the uh, Gene Mano murder. You know, Gene's body is found in uh, November of '43. We're now in February of '44. So Tommy Syracuse and his wife, uh, they go out, leave the house driving their 1938 Ford sedan. Uh, Fact to keep in mind here, you'll you'll find that nobody has a new car uh, in stories from around this era because at the end of 1941, all new car production in the United States stopped. It didn't pick up again until 1946 uh, because Every, every scrap of metal and every bit of machinery was going to the war effort. Um, even you'll find where Cadillac and Pontiac and places like that, they're making tanks at this point. So yeah, um, Saracusa is driving a 38 Ford sedan. He drops his wife off at the theater, uh, tells her, hey, look, I'll call you later this evening and pick you up. You just go out have fun. So then uh, Saracusa drives to the Willswood Tavern. He gets out there, enters the restaurant. Now, here is where our information from Mrs. Murdoch Mano picks up. Because this is what she's there to tell the FBI about in 1967. She says that she is sitting in the restaurant with these two friends, uh, Whit Blackwell and Frank Spano. Uh, they're, They're in the Willswood Tavern sitting at the bar. Now, we're, gonna, we're calling her Mrs. Navo because we don't have uh, what her, her uh, maiden name was. We don't get a lot of information on her. And we assume, though, she's not with a husband. Um, and it was a little bit, It would have been a little uh, odd to have her going out with male friends. So we're going to assume she's not married here. She's probably got a different last name. I kind of wish I could find her last name because, as you'll see as we go on, I've got some questions about Mrs. Navo uh, that, that are never answered. Her and her friends are sitting at the bar. They see Tommy Saracusa come in the door. They also see a large table, big group of friends that knows each other. They're, they're, they're eating and having a good time. Saracusa sees this table. He looks a little alarmed. Uh, now, sitting at this table, according to Ms. Navo's testimony, is Carlos Marcelo, Vida and Lee Longo. Now, the Longos um, manage the restaurant. They managed the Willswood Tavern for Carlos Marcello. Um, Jeannie is there, that's Lee Longo's sister, Uh, didn't give a last name for her. Nick Christina, Joseph Zip Chimenti, and there's also another dark-skinned guy, probably around 40, kind of uh, well-built, that they don't have a name for. Funny side note, Marcello's enforcer Zip Chimenti is also the chief investigator for uh, District Attorney Landridge, uh, it's Frank Landridge, I believe, in Jefferson Parish. So, I don't know any way to guess the number of New Orleans Mafia members who also worked in the New Orleans uh, law enforcement community, but it was a bunch. They, the NOPD, Jefferson Parish, everywhere, they've got people in at all levels. Now, Saracusa sees his table. Uh, He looks kind of frightened. I mean, I'm not sure how shocked he's supposed to be. It's Carlos's restaurant. You know, why come in there if you don't want to run into Carlos? It's just, that's a weird part of the story. Anyway, Saracusa walks straight through the restaurant. He passes the bar, goes straight into the kitchen where the Longos who manage it, their mother, is a cook there. And uh, he just goes straight into the kitchen with her. At this point, Carlos Marcello, uh, Christina, Longo, and Cimenti get up and follow Sarah Cusa into the kitchen. You should probably gather that when Carlos Marcello follows you into a private room after you just royally fucked up a hit, I'm guessing he's not coming in there to say, oh look, hey Tommy, it's okay, here, I'll give you a puppy, you'll get him next time slugger, you get out of here. No, Marcello is pissed. He is really angry. According to Mrs. Navo, uh, she hears sounds of a struggle. Pots and pans banging around, loud voices, um, just crazy shit coming coming from the kitchen. Uh, She hears some really loud voices, but they're speaking Italian. From her account, it kind of sounds like she's pretty excited to see gangsters in action, you know? This is some pretty cool stuff for her to see. She's thinking, oh man, this is cool. It's at this point also, I wanna know how Mrs. Navo knows all of these people on site. This is before Marcelo is the boss of the family in New Orleans. Um, there's this big meeting, New Orleans family people, uh, all leaning together at this table. This Mrs. Navo, no Mary name, no other information about her, can name all but one of them on site. That, that makes me wonder a bit. I don't know, okay, but getting back to the story. Mrs. Neville, like I said, she's, she's pretty excited. So she turns to Frank Spano, her friend who, who speaks Italian, and she goes, hey Frank, what are they saying in there? Frank looks at her, his eyes are wide. He says, we have got to leave right now. So I'm guessing Frank understands what they're saying in there. Before they can leave though, the kitchen door swings open and the Longo's mother, uh, the cook, comes out of the kitchen. She's obviously not wanting to be in a room where you know all this is happening. Now as that door swings open uh, Mrs. Navo can see Tommy Saragusa sitting in a metal chair. Uh, Chimente's got his hand on his shoulder holding him down and has a snub-nosed pistol pressed against the side of his head. Meanwhile while this is happening Marcello is constantly slapping the shit out of him over and over and screaming in his face while Saracusa screams in pain and tries to uh, apparently get him to stop. And then the door swings closed. So Mrs. Navo and her companions leave, and she does remember seeing a lone 1938 Ford parked in the lot. I guess the other people's cars were parked uh, behind a building or something, but she says there's only one car in the lot, it's this 38 Ford. So later, in the same, same time frame, Tommy Saracusa's wife shows up at the police station to report her husband missing. Although Tommy's a wise guy, apparently he's very considerate about letting his wife know where he is. He'll tell her he has to go places, but he's back when he says he's going to be back. Um, she said he's a good family man, uh, you know, a real considerate guy. So uh, Vitali's still around. He's been released uh, pending his immigration hearing. So the police grab him, since he's uh, implicated with Syracuse in another crime, and obviously they work together. And he says, hey, they want to know, Vitaly, where the hell is Syracuse? He's gone. Vitaly tells him, you know, you should probably ask his girlfriend where he is. The police are a little shocked. They just uh, heard from Syracuse's wife uh, that he's a great family man. He's always home on time. Um, But when they do a little poking around, yeah, they find out this girlfriend is real. Uh, So they they pretty quickly track her down. She's working as a hat check girl at this uh, roadside tavern. Uh, But she says, yeah, uh, yeah, I know Saracusa. We used to have a thing, but man, I haven't seen him in months. So the police, without any other leads, they put out a four-state APB on Syracusa. Now this is, um, remember, this is just because his wife has reported him missing at this point. Uh, Mrs. Navo's testimony Uh, we keep coming back to, that doesn't happen for 23 years. So this is all just because his wife has reported him missing. February 21st, Syracuse's 38 Ford is found parked legally on Elysian Fields Avenue. Now, the residents that that live around there say they first noticed it about the 13th. And this is a perfect example of hiding something in plain sight. They just put this nondescript car into legal parking where anybody can park, and it's not going to get towed or anything, so it can sit here for a long time until somebody accidentally sees the license plate. Go about a two or three weeks further. Um, A nude body is found floating in the Mississippi River, uh, roughly four blocks from where Syracuse's car was found, and the physical description of this body. It basically matches Syracuse. So they send there. you know, the Coast Guard comes in, recovers the body. They find there are three holes in the skull, and that the body shows traces of quicklime, uh, which haven't washed off. It's similar to the chemical found on the body of Gene Mano. Oddly, in addition, both feet and the right hand from the body are missing. Uh, they don't tell uh, whether those were due to... Uh, animal predation or whether they were like chopped off but they're not the feet and the right hand aren't there and you know but if you think about fingerprints I don't know why you cut off the right hand and leave the left that didn't make any sense uh, the police end up going over this body it, it's similar but as they get more and more information on it they find out that it's not Saracusa. this is just another random body missing body parts covered in quicklime, dumped in a river It just so happens to be close to where, where Syracuse's uh, car was found. And man, I got to tell you, this, this is one of those quintessential New Orleans things. And it reminded me of a story. I don't want to go off on too big of a tangent, but this was just too great. Back in 2013, uh, there was a teacher uh, who goes missing. Uh, She's, in, in in town in New Orleans from Long Beach, California. When she can't be located after a while, the police start dredging waterways around where she was driving to see if maybe she had a, a an accident, you know, maybe ran off the road somehow, ended up in a bayou. Um, eventually, they find her car. Uh, they pull it out of Bayou St. John, and they, they positively identify, yeah, this is the girl that was lost. This is the one that's missing. But... Before they pull her car out of the water, they have already pulled out seventeen additional cars that they're not looking for. So, <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was funny. Um, you know, before they find the one they're looking for, they find seventeen others. And I like to, uh, I like to kind of imagine they're picking them up out of the water and going, "Oh no, nope, that's the wrong one," and then they just drop it back in. All right. Anyway, they def- discover this body isn't Saracusa. So let's jump forward almost another month. There's this dairy owner. Uh, He's out on his tractor looking for lost cows. He's got some cows that are missing. And he is going down this little country road. He discovers a badly decomposed body there. Uh, Police arrive. They find this body. It's nearly skeletal. And the head is missing. As they examine it, the body is clothed. Um, and clothing that matches a description of what Saracusa was wearing when he disappeared. Uh, They find, with the body, uh, gold-rimmed glasses, a pocket comb and a leather case, about $7 in bills in one pocket, um, a gold belt buckle with the initials TS, a gold ring with four diamonds, a handkerchief, and it has the letter S embroidered on it, Close to the body, they find a wallet containing a draft registration card, a draft classification card, $65 in bills, an Italian union member card, a social security card, a pawn ticket for $81.60 on a diamond stick pen, a driver's license, and a memorandum book, and all of these things are in the name of Tommy Saracusa. Now, it, it strikes me that there's pretty much everything there... But a lighted neon flashing sign saying, This is the guy you were looking for. So, as the police continue to uh, go over the area, they find his head. When they find the head, they find that most of the teeth are broken out. Now, the coroner says it is the result of a particularly savage beating, um, which also led to multiple skull fractures. Um, but because of the number of injuries and the severity of them, uh, they couldn't say which one actually killed him. Um, but it's pretty clear that Saracusa has literally been beaten to death. Now, in a kind of strange bit here, as they go over the scene, they find that the body had originally been hidden well off the road. It was, it was quite a few ways back. Recently, the body had been drugged up beside the road. Um, Which is being drug into a spot where it's a lot easier to see and as it's being drugged the head falls off Um, Because the body was so desiccated uh, And and decomposed the head just falls off because I'm I'm guessing they were dragging it by the feet Uh, there's no clear reason why You'd come out and take a body that's this decomposed and drag it up by the roadside Um, Only two things I can guess is somebody found it uh, who maybe had some problems with the police in the past. They don't want to be uh, involved in this so they they drag it up with somebody you know they don't they want it to be found so they drag it up with somebody to find it and then leave. Uh, the other option is possibly uh, whoever killed Syracuse had intended somebody to find the body um, when nobody did after a while they they moved it where it'd be a little bit easier to find. Vitali is now charged with the murder of Syracusa based on you and Saracusa are in trouble for something together. Uh, They had no other uh, physical evidence or witnesses or anything tying Vitaly to the murder. Um, And then things with Vitaly get a little sketchy after that. He's charged with Syracusa's murder. He's also charged in the Gene Mano murder, but he never goes to trial on either of these things. Um, the bond that he put up, even though he never goes to trial, nothing ever happens. The bond he puts up was never forfeited on. You know, there's no case where the, the bondsman has to pay out. You know, pay out the full thing. It's likely vitaly has gone back to Sicily, where he's from, uh, because he just drops out of uh, drops out of existence. So, the police start speculating uh, reasons about Saracusa's death. And as usual, they're kind of all over the map because they really don't know what's going on. Uh, there's talk that uh, there was a $10,000 swindle that had something to do uh, with a, a chicken farmer and the casino and some weird shit with that. It just it's one of those wild stories that was just all over the place, you know. And then there's a possible connection to narcotics trafficking, uh, which seems to be the go-to thing anytime. Uh, somebody who's got a criminal history dies. Oh, they got to be tied up in drugs and shit. But I think, if I had to say, and just my opinion, given how bad he fucked up the Gene Mano hit and how much heat he brought on after that, that's likely the reason he was killed. Now, along those lines, you don't know if he was being cooperative with the police. You know, he may have indicated his willingness to cooperate. Um, and done so to the wrong person because, as we talked about earlier, there are a lot of connected people in law enforcement. And uh, if he expressed this to a connected cop, well then that's going to be the end of him right there. Now, uh, Marcello is never tied to Saracusa's murder. Uh, he is uh, currently having his own legal problems when the bodies are found. Um, he gets arrested in a black market uh, gasoline ration coupon scheme remember gasoline ration coupons from earlier um so apparently uh, they are selling these uh, gasoline ration coupons that were stolen uh about a year earlier and they're t ration coupons which are technically for commercial vehicles but you've got a lot of service stations that will you know as long as they get a ration coupon they don't care they get their money and uh, these ration coupons can be sold uh, for twice the value uh, of the gas that, that you're buying with them. So, you know, that's, that's a good money maker. As you imagine, Marcelo gets out of this one. Uh, he doesn't get charged for it, but he gets picked up and he has some issues there. This is where things get really weird. After the funeral, Tommy Syracuse sightings start popping up all over Louisiana. I mean, it's as bad as Elvis. So people say, hey, you know, the day after the funeral, literally the day after the funeral, this woman walks into the NOPD. She says, look, I know Tommy Saracusa. I know him very well. I wouldn't mistake anybody else from him, and I just saw him get out of a car and walk into the French market. The police are like, um, lady, Tommy Saracusa's dead. We found his corpse. He is dead. They just buried him. The lady says, yeah here is the license plate of the car i saw him get out of she hands me a slip of paper with the license plate recorded on it now it turns out the license plate she wrote down belongs to joe gagliano anybody who who is you know knows about the new orleans families uh, gagliano's are, are kind of tied in uh, even through recent era but anyway this is joe gagliano he's a well-known mafia guy and he lives with a couple of people who were really close friends with Tommy Saracusa. so this is odd. Uh, police question Gagliano. He says no fucking way. My car was in for repairs. there's no way anybody was getting out of it anywhere. It was in a shop, and and he's got a uh, uh, corroborating evidence. The the people at the shop back up his alibi on that. So after that, you get hey, I saw Tommy Saracusa at a nightclub. I saw him going into the grocery store. Um, And then there gets to be this cluster of of sightings. Go, Yeah, Tommy Syracuse, he's working at a gas station in northern Louisiana. So apparently police never followed up on any of these. They never took them very seriously. Um, But as the sightings continue, there's this female reporter for a a paper in New Orleans. And so she starts writing, uh, hey, maybe that wasn't Tommy Syracuse's body that was found. There's a lot of reports of Tommy Saracusa being in northern Louisiana, Tommy Saracusa being in the French market. Hey, I know Tommy Saracusa and he's not dead. Well, she gets a call in the middle of the night. It's not anybody she knows, and they go, hey, we know you got a daughter that goes to, you know, XYZ school. And, you know, if you like her being alive, you might want to stop writing these fucking Tommy Saracusa stories and the reporter says you know hey sounds like a good idea to me so she drops the story and never writes about it again that of course can't be verified uh so you know you don't know if that really happened but she did absolutely stop the uh stop the stories and that brings us back around to where we started So look at the testimony um from miss navo miss murdoch navo she tells her story to the fbi in 1967. It turns out that her testimony, which she refused to repeat in court for any reason, was the only eyewitness account ever given in the Saracusa case uh, regarding his murder, not all the 2,000 people who saw him at a nightclub after he died. So you got you to gotta question, why didn't this lady say something earlier? 1967, 23 years later, um... I'm kind of wondering why she said something then, but uh, you know, people have their reasons. They decide to get right with God when they get older or whatever. Um, but you gotta wonder, why didn't she give this uh, testimony? If she's willing to give it anytime, uh, go talk to the police back when this would do some good. And like, like a lot of New Orleans stories, it turns out that is exactly what she did. So a couple of days later, when she reads a news story that says uh, Tommy Saracusa is missing, She contacts the New Orleans Police Department. Now, Captain Harry Gregson and Detective William Grosh, remember him from earlier, uh, they go out and uh, meet Miss Navo and her friend Frank Spano at Navo's house. Now, during this meeting, Navo and Spano both, uh, separately being interviewed in different rooms, identify photos of Saracusa and Marcello. Then the officers leave. They don't give them any information about the case or how it's progressing and what's going on. So later, Captain Gregson calls Miss Davos, says, look, I need you to come meet me at my house. She goes out to his house. Gregson tells her, look, you need to keep your mouth shut because the people you're talking about are going to kill you if you keep talking. So she's freaked out. Uh, she goes back. She says, well, I can't go to the New Orleans Police Department. She goes to Jefferson Parish, talks to Sheriff Frank Clancy. She tells Clancy, I'm scared. Clancy tells her, you need to keep your mouth shut if you want to stay alive. You're right to be scared. Quit fucking talking to people. A couple of weeks later, she talks to a Jefferson Parish Sheriff Deputy, de, de, Libre- de libretto de Delibretto. Let's call him Delibretto. He says, thanks for bringing this to my attention. Uh, you and I will destroy New Orleans organized crime together. Oh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm just fucking with you. He says, keep your fucking mouth shut if you don't want somebody to kill you stop talking about this third time must have been a charm because at this point she does keep her mouth shut uh, until she meets with the fbi at a church 20 some odd years later uh, and to give her story now i want to thank all you guys for uh listening in i hope you enjoyed uh enjoyed the story of murder and uh twists and turns and maybe a Maybe a guy who was killed but wasn't killed and a bunch of bodies that were found. And uh, how people get themselves killed by being stupid. It was a neat story. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I mean, probably if you enjoyed it, you're kind of like me. There's something a little wrong with you. uh, But that's the kind of wrong that that I'm happy with. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. Um, We're going to have another episode out. Uh, We're trying to get these weekly. They might be a little bi-weekly at first because uh, we're trying to nail it down but man we love you guys uh, listening please tell your friends about us uh if you happen to be listening on apple Podcasts, you know the little purple icon on your iphone if you're listening there uh please go down and uh give us a rating uh if you can give us a five star rating that would be great it would help so much um yeah, what you say in your review doesn't matter as long as you say something say hey uh, this guy is crazy. Uh, hey, I love New Orleans. Hey, go Saints. Who that? You yeah, know, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter what you say. I, I'm not getting this for my ego. Uh, just it helps me out in the in the listings. Uh, uh, when the rankings come out, those five star reviews uh, count so so much, and I would really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing all of you guys next time on the New Orleans Mafia podcast. Be well.